Man, are you guys excited to be here? Because you ought to be. Legit, you ought to be excited. I ought to be excited. Not, not because we are here in this particular place, but because of the nature of what we are here to do. We should be super excited. We get to gather up here together. We get to celebrate the wonders that we have discovered about God so far uh, in, in unity together as we sing out uh, with one voice the realities of these discoveries in song. And then after we've celebrated God and all that he is and all that he's done and all that he's doing for us, we get to dig into the actual, legitimate, revealed word of God where he, our creator, and sustainer speaks to us, we get to get into that and explore that, discovering more than we ever thought possible about who he is and who we are and how that relates. And then in the doing of all of that, we get to gather up in a lobby and with all that in our heads, stir each other up and spur each other on toward love and good deeds leading to freedom. I mean, that's crazy. And you ought to be excited because I am excited. So here's what we're going to do. We are going to continue uh, in our journey through this incredible thing that God has given us that we get to discover. If you left this place and you went out onto the streets and you went to a mall or you went to Disney Springs or you went to Universal's uh, City Walk or wherever it was where there's lots of people walking around from lots of different backgrounds and spaces and you walked around and asked people about what they thought about God in particular in this way, what do you think God wants from you or from us? It'd be very interesting to see what kind of answer we get, wouldn't it? But I will tell you this, though the answers would differ some, I would venture to guess that the majority, if not all of the people, regardless of religious background, regardless of belief in God or not, regardless of whether they're regular church goers or not, that the majority would say something along the lines of God wants you to do what's right, to behave rightly. He has a set of whoever he is. He has a set of things found in some uh, uh, sacred book uh, and, and he wants you to follow those things and not the things that you want to do, really. I mean, it boils down to. He, do, he doesn't want you to do all the stuff that seems fun, but he does want you to do all this stuff and not do that. That, that I think would be the primary answer. And then if you said, well, if you did this stuff instead of the other stuff, then, then why do that? What, what, is the, what is the ultimate fruit of that? They would say in some form or another, well, you definitely want to keep God happy enough if there is a God, because if you keep him happy enough, then if you, uh, if you do the, enough of the right thing, then he will either give you a better life now, or I suppose when you die, you get to go to the good place and not the bad place, right? So it's a, it's a scale of, of grade. You, you, you're not, you're not going to get an A, I, I get it, because that's for nuns and, and monks. But, but you know, you, you're hopeful for a C, Okay, and if you're if you're really you know one of just the people that are out there uh, doing the thing, then you're hoping that you don't get an F and you can sneak by on a D, and you're wondering whether a D gets you in or doesn't. But you're trying. And how much of the rules do you need to follow to get the D? Right? You want to hear the Christian version of this? 
There's <laughs> a Christian version. Oh, yes, there is. Okay? If, you, if you've done your due diligence and you've studied and you find out that the gospel is actually not purely about behavior and, and that you don't grade on a scale and all of that kind of stuff and you discover God's grace, then our Christian version of that ideology is this. God gives you an A. Okay, have you guys ever seen those movies where some teacher goes into the uh, inner city, to uh, some inner city environment, to, to the school that's like the worst school on planet earth, to the class with the worst students on planet earth, and they've had 17 teachers quit in six months, and three of them died because they were killed in the classroom, and then some, some teacher comes in, usually Denzel Washington or someone like that, right, some awesome looking stud who's like, Whoa! And he walks in and then he does some unconventional craziness and suddenly all these kids that hated everyone in the whole world become angel children and go on to Harvard, right? I mean, you've seen the movie and it's always based on some true story, some version of that Denzel Washington story, right? So I, I saw a movie like that once and I remember the unconventional part of the movie was that the teacher came in and he said to all the students beginning of the semester, you all have A's. All of you, you have A's. You start with an A. All you have to do is keep the A. You don't have to work toward it. You don't have to earn it because that, that, that's too large of a thing to overcome. So you start with the A and you just, you just got to hold it, right? I think that's how we think, the Christian version of God's grace. We get an A right off the bat. Boom, God rescues you, no, no, no work of your own, you couldn't get the A anyways, he gives you the A. Now, if you understand the gospel real well, then you know you can't really lose the A, you have the A, and even if you behave kind of badly, you're not gonna get a C or a D, but, here it is, you ready? If you don't behave like an A student, God is super disappointed in you. Because that's the Christian life, isn't it? You got the A, what are you doing? Why are you behaving like an F student when you got the A? God loves you. And when someone loved you that much, wouldn't it make sense that you would, you would behave properly for them? And so our, our Christian version of the kind of the, the unfortunate part of our behavior is this. Where other people get death because they don't get the A, right? The Christians get disappointment. That's, that's God is so disappointed in me. Like you, you're, gonna, you're gonna end up walking into the pearly gates, right? And God's gonna go, oh, you. <laughs> I mean, you lucky you came to know me because I gave you the A, but I probably shouldn't have. Because you spent your whole life behaving like an F student and you are going to be as one who escapes the flames, and we quote that verse, right? I think that's what we think happens. Paul is unpacking for us the extent of God's grace in the early parts of the book of Romans. And in fact, Romans chapter one through 11 is going to be an ongoing, expanding wonder of the extent of God's grace, the magnitude of God's grace. It is gonna show us things that we cannot believe about God's grace and how that functions. In fact, it is going to be so crazy that we are going to have confusing thoughts at times going, if God's grace is this big, then that can't be because it's sets me so free that I can do whatever I want. And so God can't possibly think that way. He can't possibly free me that much because God ultimately wants me to what again? Behave rightly. That's God's ultimate thing. If you said to people on the street, 
Do you think God wants you to enjoy your freedom? I bet most people would say, no, because they got an idea of what their freedom is, right? No, no, I'm pretty sure all the stuff that I want to do, God doesn't want me to do. So he doesn't want me to enjoy my freedom. He wants me to live a life, color, and I'm trying, I'm trying, but there's so much freedom out there to, to entice me, and it's hard for all of us, isn't it? Paul is writing into this going, guys, you don't get the wonder of grace, do you? So I'm going to show you. Chapters 1, 2, we all cannot get an F, let alone, let alone a D, a C, a B, or an A. Like we, we, don't, we don't even grade. We, we don't even get a zero. And then chapters 3, he starts going, yes, God has, in fact, affected positionally a reality for you that is extraordinary. You are now right. And as he begins to unpack this grace in chapters 3, 4, and 5, and he begins to expand it and extend it, it becomes so crazy because he keeps saying, you didn't do this. You didn't do this. You didn't do this. You didn't earn this. You couldn't get this. You can't lose this. This is God. He did it. He loves you. He came for you. He rescued you. He holds you. He sets you free. He makes sure your future secure. He did it all. No matter what you did. No matter what you're doing. No matter what you will do. And when you're done with that, you're like, hold on. Hold on. It can't be. And then the natural question comes. So if God set us that free then what stops us from sinning, right? I mean, what stops you and I from sinning mostly is the disappointment word or the death word, right? If I sin enough, I get to go to the bad place. And if I'm medium or I know Jesus, then I get to get the disappointed God. And I don't want God to be, I want to be a good and faithful servant. And so I want God to be happy with me. So that keeps me from all the stuff I really want to do. But I know I shouldn't. And so now that God's grace is this big, what keeps me from going, sweet, you mean it makes really no difference at all in my position with Christ? Nope, done. Well then, it's time to go wild. What stops you from doing that? And remember, Paul said, when we find ourselves wrestling with sin, and, and we now belong to Christ, but yet we find ourselves dabbling in things that are not of God, and we wrestle internally, like, why am I doing this? This doesn't make any sense. I, mean, I, I, I don't know what to do. The more we discover the power that sin had over us and still affects on us, the more God's grace gets bigger because the more we realize he didn't just save me from this, he saved me from this. Remember, we talked about that. So the question is, should I keep sinning so that God's grace gets bigger? Oh, look how awesome I am. And if you answer that question by saying, no, you belong to Christ now, as Paul did, well then, what would stop me from sinning because I'm utterly free now? And Paul goes, great question. You see, the reason you even ask the question is because you do not understand the nature of sin and the nature of God's grace. So shall we explore? Let's do it. Grab your Bibles. Go to Romans chapter 6. Here we go. It's going to get crazy. Okay. Romans chapter 6. If you're using one of our Bibles that we provide at the door, you are on page 1044. If you're using a smart device or one of your Bibles, Romans chapter 6, verse 15. Romans 6, 15, here's where Paul begins. What then, question mark, are we to sin 
because we are not under law, but under grace. So what he's saying there is now that you know that grace is this big, now that you know that God has positionally shifted you to himself so you are in Christ, no longer facing the consequences of your sin in your future eternity, so then, since we are under grace now and not under the law which held us to our sin, should we therefore uh, keep sinning? Because we are, we are free to, right? That's what he's saying. He's saying it, it does look like you're free to, so should you keep doing it? Okay, watch this, watch this. Absolutely, he says. No, I'm, I'm kidding. You see, you and I both rightly expect Paul to say what? By all means, no. By, by all means, no. Look, by no means should we do this. So obviously, we have the right answer here because we all didn't expect Paul to say, yep, absolutely, since grace is this free and you are this free and you're in Christ, just go nuts. But the bigger question isn't whether Paul said yes we should or yes we shouldn't because we already knew he'd say no. The question is why not? Why not? If I'm this free, why shouldn't I keep sinning? And you see what you're expecting, what I'm expecting, is that Paul is gonna go into some relational deal with God now. He loved you so much. You remember the, the, the Hacksaw Ridge? He came for you while you were like, Bleh. and you were like, we're weeping, it's beautiful. And because he loves you so much now, do you really want to disappoint him? See, that would be some motive. I don't wanna hurt his feelings, because he's so awesome and grace is so big. So the, the, the issue would be, since grace is so big, why would you want to disappoint God? But Paul's not gonna go there because the reason we should not live continually in a behavioral pattern of sin is much, much bigger than that. Because P.S., God is not disappointed in you. P.S., God delights over you and I because we are in Christ now. He does not look at our behavior and go, oh no. He does not look at us as we are. He looks at us as a finished work in Christ and delights over us as his children. So it can't be motive that we would disappoint him because he loves us. So why then should we not keep sinning if we are so free in grace? And here Paul goes, watch. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Huh, what did Paul just do? Okay, let me show you. Okay, so remember in chapters six, one through 14, Paul spoke deeply about our position. We were once enslaved to sin. He set us free and we are now in Christ and it's beautiful. And that's why the whole grace thing isn't reason to sin. But now what Paul is going to do is he's gonna look at all of us and he's gonna say, what you're missing here in asking the question, shouldn't I keep sinning if I'm this free in grace, is you're forgetting the nature of sin. You are forgetting the nature of sin. Sin is not a behavior. It is not you doing the wrong thing. Sin is a force. It is a master. It is a power. It comes from a dark place and it wants you dead. 
It wants me dead. It wants us dead. It wants this world dead. It wants everything dead. And it is a virus that comes and it produces destruction and death all the time. That was our problem, is that we were infected by sin. Therefore, we were enslaved to it because we couldn't undo it. And it affected us not only temporarily in our behaviors, but eternally in our position. And you forget yourself when you say, shouldn't I keep sinning then? Because you forget who this master was. What this master wants for you. Now he uses an illustration that makes perfect sense in the Roman culture. Okay, So he says, don't you realize that when you give yourself to a master as their bondservant, that you then are now obligated to that master and what that master wants for you is what you are going to get. What is he talking about here? So slavery in Rome during this time worked differently than slavery worked in our context over the last hundred years in our country, okay? Now, let me, just, let me just say this. Slavery in any form, human to human, is wrong, okay? So it doesn't really matter whether it's different or the same. Slavery is slavery and it shouldn't happen. But in the Roman times, it was simply different than it was over the last hundred years here. Here's how it was different. When you became a slave in the Roman culture, you became a slave for a myriad of reasons. You were conquered in battle. Uh, you, you came from a particular economic space, whatever it might be. Uh, millions of reasons, same as uh, the world always is. There's reasons that humans enslave humans, and it's terrible and horrible and an abomination. But in the Roman time, here's how it worked. When you were sold as a slave to a family or a master, for whatever purpose you may have been sold at, you were actually given a wage, you were paid for what you were doing, which is a little different, right? So you didn't just do it for free, you were paid a wage. And in the payment of your wages, you could over time save up enough money or make payments to your master to the point that you purchased yourself from your master. So you could actually purchase your freedom. Think of it this way, it was still slavery, but think of it this way. You were, you were given to a job that you didn't choose, okay? There's part one. You couldn't quit, even if you were part of a terrible boss, okay? You had a terrible boss, terrible coworkers in a terrible environment, you couldn't quit, but you still got paid. Eventually, being paid enough, you could buy the right to quit. You with me? You could buy the right to quit. I quit! And you could walk away because you were no longer enslaved, so you were set free. Now, if you worked for a family, as a slave, you were bound to them, you couldn't quit, and you over time paid your wages to them or you worked really hard, so the other way you could be set free is you could, you could fulfill for them what they needed to the point that the cost it cost them to buy you, 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 you did more than that, right? Then they would say to you, you know, you have given our family more than it ever cost us to buy you. You are free. Here's the deal, okay? What if you loved your job? You loved the boss you worked for. You loved your coworkers. You loved what you did. And this boss, they loved you, right? So then you would do this. When, when, came, when came time to buy the right to quit, you would buy the right to quit, and then what would you do? Um, I, I, I don't want to quit. I like this job. See, if you're part of a job today, and you love your boss, you love your coworkers, you love what you do, it works for you, the, the job pays you well, 
and provides for you well, and you know that the boss cares so much about their employees that no matter what happens in the economy, they're going to fight for you. Would you not stay at that job? Indeed you would. Indeed you would. You, you ought to, by the way, if, if you're confused, like, I don't know, should I stay? <laughs> yes, yes, you should stay. That's a good job, right? Okay, so a bond servant or bond slave was someone that had purchased their freedom, but they loved their boss, their coworkers, their job and their stuff, and so they tied themselves back by saying, I would like to continue to work for you. And then the person would go, that's awesome, and now you were free to quit, you didn't just become a slave again, but the relationship of boss and employee didn't change, you with me? They still got to tell you what to do. You still didn't just get to go, now that I'm not a slave and I'm just kind of an employee, if you say, I need you to go take out the, 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 the plates and put them on the table, you didn't have the right to go, no. I don't feel like it today. Because then they would what? Well, probably kill you in Rome, but uh, we'll fire, fire you now, okay? So, so that would, wouldn't go well for you, just like it wouldn't go well for you today. So here's what Paul's saying. Don't you understand? Don't you understand? You're asking this question, should I keep sinning? You once belonged to a master that wanted you dead. And everything that master told you to do was for your destruction and for the destruction of others and for the destruction of all creation. You came awake to that when the gospel was revealed to you and you couldn't do anything about it because you were bound by this virus sin. And God rescued you from the virus sin and set you free from the virus sin. Okay, now once you're freed from a master, don't you get that if you submit yourself again to that master and say, I like the way you roll. I am going to obey you again. I'm gonna do what you want versus what God wants, that you obligate yourself to the things that master wants. Just like a bondservant. I'm gonna keep working for you so now that master has mastery over you. Do you, do you see? He's saying, you forget what you say when you say, should I keep sinning? Should you keep submitting yourself to master death so he can destroy all of you and everybody you love and the entire planet and all of creation because you submit yourself to him? Questions, anybody? No, you shouldn't. That's what Paul, no, no, you shouldn't. Now, this is where it gets super cool, okay? So Paul, as he's saying this, as a great communicator who's inspired by the Holy Spirit, he suddenly goes like this. Okay, so if you, if, you, if you were set free from death into freedom, and then you submit yourself again to sin, you are submitting yourself to the master death, to the master sin, who is going to affect you and affect death. Who wants to do that? What could you conclude listening to that? That if you sin again, you move from being someone who is free in Christ to someone who is once again bound to the master sin. That's a scary thought, isn't it? You, God set you free, but you gave yourself back to sin. Don't you know that if you do that, you are bound again to that master? Oh no, oh no, that means we're all dead. You, you did sin after you came to Christ at some point, didn't you? One of you is going, I don't know, let me think about it. <laughs> Trust me, you did, I did, we all do, right? So look what Paul does next. Look at this. Here is what I love about the book of Romans, the beautiful constant collision between our position and our experiential reality. Watch this. Watch this. Do you not know that it leads to death if, you, if you're obedient to that? And then look what he says in the very next verse. But thanks be to God. 
Man, see, Paul leaves no space for us to get confused about our freedom in Christ, our position. He goes like this. Don't you know you could give yourself back to sin and be entangled in that again, and then it would be like obeying the master sin, but thanks to God. But thanks to God what? But thanks to God what? Watch. But thanks to God that you who were, look at this word now, once slaves to sin. What does that word mean? That you were once, but you are what? No longer, right? So he's declaring without apology here for those of you that have tied yourself back to a behavior that submits yourself to the master sin who is producing death. Thanks be to God that despite that might be happening, you were once a slave to sin by definition. Therefore, you are still not. Watch, he goes on. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. You might think what he means by that is thanks to those of you that are not sinning because you're obeying. It's not what it means. He's saying thanks be to God that because you are positionally moved into Christ now, that despite the fact that you might on occasion, even in some regularity, submit yourself to the slavery of sin, that God has promised that your obedience is an inevitability in the end because the work He began in you, He will bring to completion. So you are free even when you're being a fool. This is, this is thanks be to God kind of news. Thanks be to God. But that's not the cool part. The cool part happens here. Look at this. Look at this. Our freedom's so insane. Look at this. And, and, having been set free from sin. Again, past tense. It's been done. It can't be undone. Watch this. Having been set free from sin. Having become slaves of righteousness. You have no idea what I just read. I know you don't because if you had, you'd be screaming right now. Look at this, look at this. Watch this. What if God had come and, and, and undone our slavery to sin, positionally moved us from an enslavement to sin to a freedom like Adam and Eve, okay? Because remember, Adam and Eve were free in the truest sense of the word, meaning they were not enslaved to sin, so they were not bound to sin, so they didn't behave in a manner that you would think like we do, where we are constantly enticed. But they were also, listen to this now, they were also free in their relationship with God to make a decision between their ultimate eternal destiny. You with me? We know that because when Adam and Eve chose to defy God in the one thing that was laid on the table, their one transgression brought into their own personal story and to all of our stories, what? The virus sin which produced what? Death. One transgression, one act of defiance, and they chose to enslave themselves to sin. And sin enslaved them and enslaved us. So if we are set free from sin and we are set simply free, then what happens after we are set free when we choose a transgression to obey the master sin again instead of obeying the master Christ? What happens to us? We are bound again to sin. We are enslaved again to sin like Adam and Eve were. The virus reinfects us. We are recaptivated and we are stuck where we started. So here would be that issue. Once he saves you from sin, be very careful because if you sin again, you're in trouble forever. But he says this, I, I didn't actually set you free. I, I didn't actually set you free. 
I bound you. I enslaved you. A slave doesn't have a choice, folks. I enslaved you and bound you to something other than your utter freedom. Because your utter freedom leaves you what? Vulnerable to be enslaved again by sin positionally. But watch this now. When I undid your slavery to sin, I enslaved you to myself. I enslaved you to righteousness positionally. I enslaved you to a a freedom. I enslaved you to this. You cannot undo that just like you couldn't undo this. Now you might behaviorally start acting as though this is your master, but when you do, you will not, cannot be re-enslaved because you are already a slave of righteousness. We are free even when we're idiots. And this is a giant deal. So what Paul's trying to do here is say, look, uh, if you think I'm saying, oh, oh, you better not sin because then you're gonna be enslaved again. I'm not saying that because you're enslaved to righteousness, but I'm also saying if you know the two masters that stand on either side and you know their desire for you and you know what they want for you, then why on earth would you be silly enough to say because this feels good, I'm gonna go submit myself to master sin and experience on any level some of the death produced in that. I mean, is that really what you want? Is, is that how you want to roll? God restricts me from freedom in my relationships and in all the stuff I want to do and all the fun everybody else on planet Earth is having, and I'm going to do it because I'm free in grace. Here's what you're saying. I'm going to submit myself to sin, which will produce death and destruction in my life and all those I love, including the entire planet, and I love it because it feels so good. You may not see it as destructive, but God has revealed it as such, and Adam and Eve also did not see it as destructive, and it wrecked the entire creative order. Because this is no joke. The master sin is no joke. And you and I ought to be very conscious of what we are saying when we say, since I'm this free, should I keep sinning? He's not done. Look at this. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. I love when Paul does this. It's, you always know, what, what does he mean? Here's what Paul's doing. He's doing what I sometimes do when I'm, I'm building an illustration for someone and then I realize as I'm building it there's a flaw in the illustration, right? So then I want you to know, don't take this illustration too far because if you take it too far, it starts breaking down. I'm just trying to speak in human terms here so that you can kind of get an idea because here's why Paul is saying this. Listen to this now. If we are enslaved to freedom, are we really enslaved? Hmm, good question. It's not like a deep thought. It's really logical. If someone enslaved you to life, enslaved you to freedom, enslaved you to, f- to freedom and life and light, are you actually enslaved? Well, well, no, not in human terms, because slavery in a human terminology is an against my will, I hate you kind of thing, right? But this is like a please enslave me because I'm scared. So it's not really slavery, it's actually grace, it's actually beauty. So this illustration, though it makes sense logically, I was once enslaved, now I'm enslaved, breaks down because this kind of slavery is not slavery. It's freedom and it's beautiful. There was a poem once written, you've heard me say it before, it's one of my favorite poems, John Donne, Batter My Heart, Three Person God, last two lines, here it is. Never shall I be free lest you imprison me, never chaste or pure lest you ravish me invade me, violate me. See, is that really slavery? 
or is that really freedom? So the illustration kind of breaks down, but understand from a human terminology that you are not simply free to once again lock yourself into bondage with sin. You are free and bound so that no matter what you do with sin now, your position cannot change. But since your position doesn't change, what foolishness would it be that you would give yourself to a destructive force that wants you dead? because you think that its way feels better to you because you wanna enjoy some of the human realities that are ours relationally or circumstantially to enjoy. Think people is what Paul is trying to say. Now look at this, look what he says next. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity, and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. Now he takes it to a whole new level. He doesn't simply say avoid sin because it's destructive and wants you dead. He's saying it's better than that. It's better than that. Your freedom is bigger than that. You are not only avoiding sin because it's destructive, you are invited to participate in righteousness because its end is life and freedom for you and all those around you and all of creation. So when you not only choose not to sin, but choose to defy that and press into the ways of God, even though in your head you think those are better ways, here's what you're doing. You are participating in the journey of sanctification and righteousness. You are participating in freedom. So though we are enslaved positionally to Christ, praise God, thanks be to God, we are also given the freedom now in this enslavement to choose whether we present our bodies, our thoughts, our ways to the master sin or to the master of righteousness himself. And if you do it this way, well, positionally, thank God, you're still in Christ. But what a fool we are, right? To produce temporal death on ourselves and others because we wanna have a little what we think is fun and freedom. But when we present ourselves this way, we say, I know what I feel like I want, but I know what God says, and I'm going to give myself to this. Then we become participants in freedom participants in light, participants in life. This is our grand privilege, folks. When you came to know Christ and you encountered the gospel, he didn't just rescue you positionally for an eternity and tell you to survive planet Earth until you die. He invites us into a life on planet Earth that participates with him in redemption, both externally and internally. Externally, it is called mission. Internally, it's called sanctification. We get to work with God in the finished work that will be us, even though he's promised he will do it, just like we get to work with God in the mission that is redemption on planet Earth, even though he's already said he will redeem all things to himself. We are participants in his grand story of redemption. How would we be foolish enough not to participate. 
And that is what we are invited to do. And you wanna know something else about sanctification? This word is so crazy. Can we take another hour? Do we have an hour? No, we don't. Okay, so I'm already over time, so I'm gonna make this fast. Sanctification does not simply mean the process of becoming like Christ. It does mean that. So I'm participating in my own ongoing redemption even though I'm positionally redeemed already. You with me? But sanctification is also a reality of what you've been made for. When something is sanctified, it is set apart for a purpose. And when you and I came to know Christ, we were set apart for his purposes, for righteousness, for redemption. So watch this now. When we live in sin, we live in a space that is not the authentic us. You are less you when you sin than you are you when you live for God. See, we always say, I just want to be me. I want to be the real me. I feel these things and I just, uh, I, I wouldn't be authentic if I didn't go with those feelings. When we live in sin, we become less us, less us. And when we live in righteousness, we become more us. The authentic you is a person, a new creation in Christ made for redemption both internally and externally. How would you not want to do that? So do you see Paul's wrestle? The question is, should I keep sinning if grace is this free? And, and Paul literally is going, I, 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 I don't understand. Maybe you don't understand, so let me explain. And then he just did this. Please, no, master sin, creating death. Master life, creating freedom. Invitation to participate in freedom. Invitation to die. Am I understanding the question correctly? In Galatians, we've already done Galatians a number of months ago or years ago, I forget. Paul wrote to the church in Galatia chapter five after going through a whole journey of legalism, which is another version of hellish reality, right? Legalism and lawlessness comes from the same pit of hell. They are both self-works to try to produce a grade for God and, and grace is the opposite of both. And he says in Galatians chapter five, verse one, it is for freedom that I have set you free. You see, the answer to the question, does God want you to enjoy your freedom, is a resounding, Yes, yes, he has a freedom for you that you cannot imagine, nor can I, and he wants you to enjoy every bit of it. But that freedom comes when we understand what he has done for us, and then we understand what he invites us into, and we understand what happens to us when we give ourselves to master sin-producing death. And so, yes, he wants us to enjoy our freedom, so he says this, it is for freedom that I have set you free, and then he says, therefore do not yoke yourself again to the slavery in, one, in, in which you once lived, talking about legalism, and then at the end of chapter five he says, should you use this freedom to indulge the sinful nature, by all means no, love one another as he has loved you and this is our invitation so let me summarize you cannot if you know Christ positionally change your enslavement from freedom to bondage you and I are stuck with freedom enslaved to it good luck you can't get yourself out but since you are what fool would give themselves to master sin temporarily, to experience death temporarily, when they know now what they have been made for. By all means, should you sin after you know grace? Only a fool would do that. If you, as I have many times in my life, struggle with sin, struggle with things that are habitual that you have tried to undo, and it's been a long while and you just can't seem to get it done, 
What Paul is saying is don't give up. Even if it's the rest of your life. The point isn't that you're still stuck with it. The point is that you have not resolved yourself to say, Master, here I am. But you are saying, oh, I will continue to defy you. And when I fall into you, I will press back out and continue to defy you. Not because I have to, because I already belong, but because I get to. Addictions are hard to overcome. Do not feel discouraged that you are giving yourself to master sin. But fight with us and we will fight with you. For we are free. But we are free to fight not free to sit and relinquish ourselves to sin. And together we will see mission inside as much as mission outside and live in the freedom that is ours. And if you think this is cool, just wait till the next part of Romans 6. But that is for another week, let's pray. God, you are incredible. Your grace is incredible that you have positionally enslaved us to righteousness so that we cannot undo ourselves from you and your freedom. And yet, you know we wrestle so much with our body of flesh which draws us back to master sin. And when we fall there, God, do two things please in us. Remind us through this passage that when we fall or are enticed into master sin that we would remember it's not about doing what's right. It's about life or death and experiencing one. Help us to verbalize that, God, when we're we're together in that beautiful moment. We're like, we really shouldn't do this. Instead of saying, it's wrong, let us say, it's stupid. It's stupid. Because if we do things in opposition to you, we do not lose your love. We do not lose our position in you. We do not lose our freedom. We do not lose what we've been enslaved to. But we behave as those who have forgotten what sin has done to us and what it wants to do to us. Remind us with clarity that sin is after our destruction and help us to live in the freedom that is you, both temporarily just as we have positionally been made to be stuck with you for eternity. And God, from me to you, from us to you, thanks be to God that despite the fact that we will sometimes choose foolishness over wisdom, sin over righteousness, that you have once undone our slavery to sin once for all and have enslaved us to you so that we cannot undo ourselves from you thank you I will live fearlessly in the sin that I struggle with in the joy of fighting it and in the wonder of overcoming it because I am free in you and I will not lay down and let the master sin have mastery over me. I will continue my fight for righteousness, not because I have to, but because I get to. Empower me and us to that end. Make us free. Show us grace. We love you, Jesus.